If you're listening to this, then you likely already know that being an independent musician can be a lonely road. And maybe your friends and your family just don't fully understand why you do what you do or why you invest so much time, energy, and, and money towards achieving your music goals. And especially early on, it can be hard to find people who really understand what you're trying to accomplish and how to make it happen. Uh, so that's where Modern Musician comes in. My name is Michael Walker, and you know I can understand and relate to that feeling. I've been there myself, and so has our team of independent artists. And the truth is that basically everything good in my life has been the result of music. It's the reason I met my wife. It's why I have my three kids. It's how I met my best friends. And now with Modern Musician, we've seen so many talented artists who started out with a dream, with a passion, but without really a fan base without a business and be able to take that and turn it into a sustainable full-time career and be able to impact hundreds of thousands, even millions of fans with their music. And we've had thousands of messages from artists who told us that we've helped change their lives forever. And it just gets even more exciting and fulfilling when you're surrounded by a community of other people who get it and who share their success and their knowledge with each other openly. And so if you are feeling called to make your music a full-time career and to be able to reach more people with your music, then I want to invite you to join our community so that we can support your growth and help lift you up as you pursue your musical dreams. You'll be able to interact in a community with other high-level artists, coaches, and industry professionals, as well as be able to participate in our daily live podcasts, meet these amazing guests, and get access to completely free training. If you'd like to join our family of artists who truly care about your success, then click on the link in the show notes and sign up now. The truth is any song, pretty much, almost any song can get licensed. And the reason is, is because there is so many opportunities. There's just so much stuff, right? You're thinking about cable, all the streaming, you've got ads, you've got shows, you've got movies, you've got independent movies, you've got YouTube productions. There is so much stuff going on that they need so much content that almost anything can get into TV and film because they're doing everything. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, I'm excited to be here with my good friend, Chris SD. So Chris is an award-winning music producer. He's worked on five albums that have won Juno Awards, along with seven nominations, which is kind of like the Grammys for Canada, if you, guys, if you aren't familiar with the, the Juno Awards, but it's kind of a big deal. He's also helped countless indie songwriters get their music placed in top shows on networks like Netflix, Hulu, ABC, Fox, NBC, HBO, CBS, basically all the big networks that, you've, that you're probably familiar with. And uh, he runs a company called Sync Songwriter, and they have a program called The Art of the Song Pitch that basically helps indie artists to be able to connect with the right people, music licensing. So, you know, if you've been a part of Modern Musician for, for a while, then you're probably not a stranger to Chris SD. We've had him on the podcast a couple of times before, and it's always a great conversation, and I remember when we were first kind of getting started together, Chris, and starting to like you know, coach and mentor other artists. And that's pretty amazing now to kind of see the impact that each of us is, is making on, on the music industry and you in particular on the world of sync licensing. So I'm really excited to talk, to talk more today. And thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. Oh, yeah. No, thanks. Thanks so much, Mike. Really appreciate you having me back. It's always a pleasure. 
Absolutely. So to start with, maybe really briefly, since some folks here are probably going to be familiar with you already, but I would love to hear a little bit about your story of Sync Songwriter and you know, kind of the purpose behind it and how you started it. Yeah, sure. No problem. So to dovetail a little bit into what you said, which is really interesting. So to start halfway through the story, when I met you, we were both two people trying to get our message out. We had no idea on how to do that. And we actually met at a conference trying to figure out how do we reach, reach people like, you know, get our message out instead of putting posters on poles and stuff. And uh, you and I started from kind of ground zero with that. And, and yeah, it's been amazing to see this great like progress in terms of, you know, having grown our communities and helped so many more musicians do what we did, you know? And, and so it's really, really cool. But anyway, the start of Sync Songwriter was basically me sitting in a studio working on records with artists and bands and putting a lot of effort into the indie record. So I used to work with big art artists and then I used to work with indie artists. And then the indie artists, you know, I used to put my blood, sweat and tears into the record and, you know, really push for it and then hope for the best. And it would go off into the ether. And most times it would just disappear. There'd be crickets. Nothing would happen. There were no agents or managers or labels propelling them along. So ultimately what, what it came down to was, you know, trying to figure out how do we get the music out there in a much bigger way? How do we sort of get not only a fan base, but can they make money from their music? Like, do they have to go on tour in a van and put posters on polls, as I was just talking about? Do they have to be trying to get a label deal? Do they have to get a manager and agent? A lot of those things are tough, you know, at the beginning. Was there an easier way? This was right around the time that people started license, licensing their music to TV and the film. And if you remember, like the way it was before that was, you know, there were probably, I don't know, if you got onto cable and stuff, right? It was like, that's all there was kind of cable. And I guess you could get satellite, but mainly cable. And you have like 20 to 50 channels or something. And it was all pre-programmed stuff. And, you know, it wasn't that cool to be on most of those shows because the shows were just, you know, pretty mainstream produced. That's what the studios were doing at the time. And then what started to happen is there became, as the prices went down for production and so on, there became more and more new directors and new producers pitching new ideas, pitching new shows, looking to kind of like create their own sort of, you know, art. But at the same time, knowing they've got to sell, right, advertising in their case and so on. So they would start putting these, these shows out. And then all of a sudden, there, there's like a bunch of interesting shows started to pop up. And then it became really kind of interesting to be like, hey, I could get my music into a cool show that I like, that I think is really great. And I know that the people watching that show who listen to the kind of music that's on the show, which is like mine, are perfect fans for me, you know? And so people started to get their music licensed. And then it became, you know, looking around like, oh, they did it. Maybe we should do it and stuff. It seems like some great reach. And then they started to hear about the money. And the money, of course, can be huge, right? You were talking, if you get into a big ad, like a big one, like any Apple ads, you're talking six figures just for one placement. And I personally, you know, work with artists who've gotten into season finales of shows. We're talking $30,000, $20,000, $10,000 for one placement. So you, it's a very lucrative as well if you can get a good, good, good uh, spot. Now, one of the things that's really cool is you also get back-end royalties that come in on the back end. So every time something airs, you also get royalties also. So sitting in the studio working with these indie artists, I was like, man, this is the way to go. This is 
we should be trying to get this music into TV and film. So I wasn't doing it for my own music. I wasn't writing music at that point. I was trying to help other artists to get their music in a little bit selfishly too, because I was working on the record and I wanted it to do well. And so as a team, we would get together and try to like, okay, let's do this. So I was at first thinking like, okay, this can't be that hard. I'd already got a name for myself in the music industry. And I thought TV and music can't be that different. And I should be able to call up some, you know, who puts music into TV and film? I look it up. Music supervisors. Okay. <laughs> so I thought, well, I can just kind of waltz in there and, you know, make some friends or I talk to them or just get them to place this great music. Cause we, I think it's great. You know, the band things is great. And so I started that way and failed completely. Like basically cold calls and things like that just don't work. You've got to be, if you're a publisher, yeah. If you're a label, sure. If you're a library, okay. An agency, yeah. If they've got a previous relationship with you. Interesting, you know, they would say, oh, there's an award-winning producer wants to talk to me. I talked to a couple of, you know, supervisors, maybe three, three of them or something uh, earlier on, but it was always a very distant kind of cold relationship, you know, and that's, that's the, the way it goes. And, but gradually I started to build these relationships with them and start to figure out, you know, how to get music into TV and film. The way I figured it out wasn't me sort of coming up with the formula or some like, I've got a good idea. I literally just asked the supervisors. I was like, hey, we're becoming friends. How, how, what's the best way that I can get you something without being a hassle and a pest to you, which feels natural that I'm helping you do your job? Oh, okay. And then they told me all the stuff. That's, here's the, you know, I do this, and do this, and do this. And that still didn't really quite get me in the door because they've got their go-to people, right? So I'd show up with a record twice a year or something. So, you know. Not, not great. And then so gradually as it, as it started to snowball, I moved to LA around the same time and got more and more connections down in Los Angeles and realized that I have way more bandwidth to get music, help artists connect with these supervisors that I've now gotten to know that trust me, I should be reaching out to a larger audience. That's when I formed Sync Songwriter. And the whole idea was to take indie songwriters and connect them with the people at the top avoiding a lot of the you know middle people which we can talk about in a bit i guess but really to cut to the chase make your own future there's a great saying i heard recently which i like a lot is that if you don't own your future somebody somebody else will and that means mm -hmm. that unless you're doing something to control what happens and you're under your own will you know to direct your life or things that you're doing it'd be like going to get a job you know if you wait until you're hungry and you got to pay your rent and you just got to get a job, you're going to be working for somebody and that may not be the future you want, you know, and it's so you you want to plan your future. And it's the same thing with licensing music. You don't want to just be at the behest of, you know, a third party necessarily because you're just depending on them. You're just sort of waiting for it to happen. So that's the nutshell and how that all got started. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And what it reminds me of was yesterday we were talking on the podcast about the locus of control and this idea of, you know, there, this is like a psychology uh, term, locus of control, that they found that people who take responsibility for themselves and take ownership, that those that's like one of the traits with high achievement and success that they found over and over and over again is people with you know a locus of control that's internal versus 
you know, a quote unquote victim mindset of, you know, blaming external circumstances or not taking responsibility or making you know, excuses. And so it sounds like, you know, that's one of the benefits of, you know, learning how to license your music and learning how to, you know, think in this way to, to kind of regain control of your life and to be able to actually be responsible, you know, rather than looking externally. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but no, coming, no, coming no. Back. I, I think that's, that's really cool. And, you know, I would say that there's a, certainly a middle ground too, not just that those two extremes, you know, I think a mm. lot of us, me included, you know, will drift sometimes. We'll just kind of let the wind push us somewhere and so on. And, and we end up in situations once in a while where we just like, we do it because kind of everybody else is doing it. Now I'm not, I don't mean imitating. I'm not talking about like, well, everybody's doing this particular thing. Uh, I'm going to do that. I'm not talking about fads and stuff like that. I'm talking about expectation. So we, when we look around us in our life and we say, well, I mean, this is what my parents did. This is what my friends do. This is what my neighbors do and people around me do. <clears throat> then I think that's, that's probably what I should do, you know? Maybe it's not, you know, maybe you should be looking and everybody else should be thinking a little bit bigger than that. Maybe they should, you know, maybe you should say, you know, I, I actually, am I settling here? Like, like, is there something more interesting that I can do that's going to take a little bit of work? Do I have a good idea that this could, could happen? And then going for that kind of stuff. So I think that's, that's really sort of, you know, important to sort of think about for sure. Oh, and powerful. Michael, I'll, I'll tell you a quick, quick story actually to, that I think was relevant to the audience, like to people watching right now is that thing about free will and so on really came about, you know, in, in my life, like and how, how things were happening based on going to a conference. When I was first starting out in a band, I went down to this conference and one of the speakers was Malcolm McLaren. He was the manager of the Sex Pistols and he, you know, obviously they'd that was long before that, but he, he was guest speaking and doing some stuff. Anyway, my brother and I were in my band, we're late, we showed up and uh, we missed his, his, his thing, but he was coming out of the lecture hall and with his little entourage walking down the hall. And I kind of placed myself in the middle of the hall to kind of get in his way a little bit. And uh, he, he walked up and I said, excuse me, Malcolm, I really apologize. I, I just, um, I missed your, your talk. And I just wanted to know if you have one piece of advice you could give me right now for a band just starting out. And he looked at my brother and I, and I think it was my brother. He went over to him and he took the tag, you know, the, the conference tag, took it off his, his neck on the lanyard, threw it on the ground. And he said, you don't come to these conferences, you know, you don't come to them. You go home and write great songs and make them come to you. My horrible mm. Malcolm McLaren <laughs> there, but, but that was such a eye opener, you know, and a lot of people mm. think that you've got to, that everything's a pie in the sky, the labels, they're doing you a favor to sign, sign you, you know, the, 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 you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Agents, managers, you know, music supervisors, they're all these sort of unattainable people. And if they'll just look at you, then you're like, amazing. You have to remember that your songs are worth cars. If they're good, you can get that kind of money out of a song. If you do it the right way, you follow the right steps. So always think about that and think about your ownership, what you have, value yourself. And I'm not talking about being pretentious or full of yourself. Nobody likes that. But knowing in your heart that they need what you have, right? 
And if they don't need what you have, then you've got to either write better songs, which is totally doable, practice makes perfect, or you've got to get your production level up. But if you've got those two things in there, and I'm not talking about you have to sound like, you know, the latest Billie Eilish record, you just have to sound good for TV and film, you're your own you're under your own agency, you know, and that's important to remember as value what you do. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Some, there's probably like four or five different stories and like analogies that my mind's going to, but I, I feel like you just summarized it really well there. So yeah, the next question that I would love to hear your perspective on is for people who are here right now, who are listening to this, I would guess that a lot of them, you know, especially if they've been in our, our community for a little while, have at the very least heard about sync licensing, have, have thought about licensing their music, and maybe haven't fully taken the, the plunge in and actually started to attempt to like actually make it happen. And one of the questions that they might have is, you know, is this right for me? And you know, for the kind of music that I make. So I'm curious, from your perspective, having so much you know, experience working with artists and seeing what's working right now and what's not working right now, is there a particular type of artist or type of music or like, how, how do you recommend looking at this in terms of people who are like, who's the best suited to make the most out of the opportunity of sync licensing? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. This is particularly good timing. Coincidentally, I decided a few days ago to do like this mini series leading up to basically we're having this panel, super music supervisor panel that's free and everyone can come out to. And that's happening in, in January and early January. And between now and then for the sing songwriter community, this isn't open to the public, but for the sing songwriter community, I decided to do a mini series on each step you need to do to get your music into TV and film the right way to do it successfully not just stuff you read online, but literally how I've shown people how to do that. And I've literally am releasing my first one today. So if anybody's out there at the end of the, this interview, I'll have a freebie for you, like a thing that you can help you with your metadata and, and talk about some of those steps that you need to do. If you grab that, you'll be signed up to the Sync Songwriter list and you can get into the mini series if you want it. It's totally free and stuff like that. And if you don't want to be on the Sync Songwriter list, just unsubscribe. I'm certainly not one of those people who's like, you know, trying to just, you know, sell you stuff all the time. Okay. I just want to help you. Okay. So to answer your question in a nutshell, outside of what that mini series is, you know, the, the truth is any song, pretty much almost any song can get licensed. And the reason is, is because there is so many opportunities. There's just so much stuff, right? You're thinking about cable, all the streaming, you've got ads, you've got shows, you've got movies, you've got independent movies, you've got YouTube productions. There is so much stuff going on that they need so much content that almost anything can get into TV and film because they're doing everything. So there's so many of these opportunities available. And, you know, there's, you can be doing anything. You know, you can have any, almost any kind of music and you can get into TV and film. The trick is finding the opportunities. That's really what it, all it comes down to. And that's called targeting. That's something I teach in that free mini series, but it's like how to find those opportunities where your music fits. So you're not just using a shotgun approach. You're not just like saying, well, if there's so many opportunities, I guess it's a, a numbers game. Then I just got to like do as much as possible and put my music out there and write as many songs as possible. 
that's not the answer. You know, that's a little bit like buying 500 tickets. So you had 500 songs, right? And you're like, I got 500 songs. Most people I talk to have like 20 or 30, you know? So I'm, I'm going to like rock it. Well, you think about the millions, millions of songs out there in libraries, for example, buying, you know, putting, buying 500 tickets for a billion dollar lottery ticket. It's not really going to increase your odds much more than the one, you know? So that's important to think about. But the cool thing about if you write more esoteric music, you know, like meditation music or show tunes or like anything like that, that's like, could be Korean hip hop. It could be, there's just so many like Gothic Americana, you know, if you write in those kind of niches, then you're, you can be a big fish in a small pond because they're sure there are fewer opportunities for those. But the thing is, there's a lot fewer people doing that. So if you become mm -hmm. the go-to person for supervisors, whenever they need meditation music, they're like, I know who to call. They just call you up. That's a really mm -hmm. kind of cool thing. So it doesn't matter if you're not in the big genres, the pop, the country, the hip hop, the, the rock, you know, it's okay if you're in all these different genres. The only thing that's going to stop you from getting into sync licensing are two things. One is if you're super cutting edge, you're an artist and you're like, I, what I do is just like not, you can't pigeonhole me and I just don't want to be like everybody else. And I purposely am trying to reinvent music. You're, it'll be more difficult because supervisors want to have something that people understand the language of on the first pass. They can't. They don't want music that that's going to grow on the audience because they're not going to hear it more than once unless it re-airs. But they want it to go by and be like, oh, that's cool. I get that. That makes sense with what I'm watching. So mm -hmm. as long as you're within, you know, the norm of what the musical sort of, you know, culture is, especially in the West, though, if you're, if, you know, if you're watching from, from India, you can get music placed in the U.S. no problem as well. And the Spanish lyrics, all kinds of stuff, even if it's ethnic music or whatever, there are spots for that as well. But in general, you want to be, it has to be like a known, understood sort of language of music, if that makes sense, that everyone's kind of heard before. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that'll stop you is your production. So you have to have, obviously, good songs, and your production's got to be above the threshold to get into TV and film. If you jump on randomly on SoundCloud and you go through that, you're going to hear a bunch of stuff that's like, you know, it's not even semi-pro yet because people are just, you know, it doesn't mean they're bad. You know, I never think about it that way. Just they're not ready. They just, it sounds like my music when I first started, you know, it sucked. I, I just sucked. My recording sucked. Okay. <laughs> we all started somewhere <laughs> and it's just the way it goes. I think that's the case for all of us. Like if we're, if yeah. we're honest. Yeah. We weren't yeah. born with that. So, so you got to figure out how to up that value. So. Mm. Cool. Yeah. So one question that comes to mind that I would love to hear your perspective on is in this world of like AI and generated music, I'd be curious to hear your general thoughts and perspective on like where things are headed in the sync licensing world and what the addition of, I don't know, if music license, you know, people who are syncing music, being able to generate music that kind of fits the scene on the spot. What can artists who are listening to this right now do to you know, sort of allow themselves to kind of continue to cut through the noise or continue to provide value? Or is that even a valid concern? Do you think that that's never going to like replace the type of music that like some supervisors are looking for? Yeah, I'd just love to hear your general thoughts on where we're headed in terms of generative music. 
Yeah, sure. So I, I think that there's uh, good news, bad news, and news in the middle <laughs> with all of this. Mm. So I think mm. the the interesting thing about the, let's start with the bad news. The bad news is this is a personal opinion. And I think there's a lot of people, because no one re really knows. But I think if we look at the motion of the world and how things evolve, everything, patterns, life, all things that, that move and progress and grow in symmetry and all these things over time, I think it's inevitable, inevitable that AI will, will do most things better than people. You know, I just think it'll, it's the way it's going to be, right? The question is, of course, that everyone's, so will we survive the process and all this other stuff? One of my theories I like is that AI, when it happens, if it does kind of get away on us, which it probably will at some point, because someone, no one's controlling it. So it, it will go so quickly that it we won't even be competitors. Like it won't even, we won't matter to it within seconds potentially. So there's going to be no sort of like, you know, T2 and all that stuff, probably, right? That's one theory anyways. But anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, within the realm of music, we can talk about, you know, will music change? How will that change with AI? We don't know what that is. Let's assume that AI is better than pretty much anybody, you know, um, writing music and so on, then it could be argued that AI will produce all the music. But here's the kind of the catch on that for me is that right now computers can beat any human chess player, right? So what's the name of the big one? Carl's Carlson Magnus. He's like the best. I can't remember his name exactly. I He's remember like the there was player. a famous, no, maybe it was Go. I watched a documentary about AI, like Go famously, oh. the number one player in the world got beat by AI, DeepMind, I think from Google, yeah, like yeah, exactly. a, little, a little ways ago. And it was a big deal yeah. at the time. Totally. And chess was yeah. the same way just before that. So, so mm -hmm. that, and that was a big, big deal. Now there's this reigning champion, a guy from Denmark who has been for years, he's been like the reigning champion of the world and he can't beat a computer. And yet he holds an audience. People watch, mm. watch him play, mm. watch all the speed matches. And they, they, everyone had rapt attention and, and doing mm. that, right? So that's a real mm. clue into how we're going to coexist with AI and music. Now it could be, you know, just because somebody can go and press a button nowadays, like, you know, because AI is like what MIDI is to us now, even though it's super dated. Like if someone in the fifties, you're talking about media, like, yeah, one person could sit in a room and like kind of play all the instruments, make all the music. Oh, and by the way, there's a whole bunch of new sounds and instruments too, you know, <laughs> and they can automate a lot of that stuff. They can actually tune their vocal and they can do all this stuff. I mean, you talk to like somebody from the fifties, they'd be like, what's the purpose of even making music? <laughs> well, talk to us about that. We still make music. We still put the parts together. If you hit a synthesizer nowadays, you don't have to synthesize all the sounds and create them. You can put a patch in and you can go through all the patches and you can treat mm -hmm. it like a bunch of guitars on your wall. So there's mm -hmm. no shame in that. Some people are against tuning vocals. I think tuning vocals is fine, especially if you're going for an effect, use it. It's a tool, you know, even if it's not an effect, it's like, make it sound real. And that's, you know, as real as you can. And I think it's art, you know, recorded art. And if you can't do it live, then that becomes a problem for sure, you know, but the bottom line is that we've got so many tools at our disposal now, so many automations that it could be argued from someone, the perspective of the fifties, that we're not really making music, but we are, we are making music. So I think that's yeah. kind of like the middle news, you know, like that's yeah. like, we could probably coexist with AI and 
and all of that stuff. The good mm-hmm. news is temporal good news. It's temporary good news. Is my feeling is that AI is going to progress within society as fast as most other things. So if you remember back to all these like things that were super hyped up, right? There was the dot com bubble in the two thousand or like two thousand year 90, late nineties or something, and basically everyone thought the internet was going to change the world, which it did, but it took twenty more years than everybody thought. You know, so that Mm. was the problem. Everybody jumped on, bought stocks, created companies and everything like that. Color printers Mm. came out. Everybody thought they were a graphic designer. Self-driving cars. They've been talking about that for years. I, my brother-in-law works at Google and he's a a bit, a part of that too. And he, Mm. he was talking about self-driving cars five years ago. We're like, yeah, we're probably going to be, be there. No fault of his own that (laughs) he was like next year. (laughs) I know Elon Musk was always like, oh, it's like one year away. Yeah, but there's 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 no there's no fault in people thinking that way, and because things can sometimes happen very quickly, and especially mm-hmm. if you're doing it. The problem is there's all these things that pop up, right? It, it creates other things. So that when the mm-hmm. thing happens, it creates you know people pushing back, creates obstacles, unveils obstacles that you didn't see before. There's all of these types of things that that can that can come up. So I think it's really important to remember that things change a slower than we would like them to or think think that they will. Once in a while, something will happen, like a digital camera when they came out, they took over the film industry very quickly, like faster than everybody thought. But mostly with the big things, they just take time. You've already got Hollywood trying to legislate AI and film, and they're winning. Mm-hmm. They're actually, the actors guild are, are getting their way. So Hollywood can't mm-hmm. just run away with AI, you know? So there's mm-hmm. all of these things that are going to be slow, slowing the progress. So why is that good news? Mm-hmm. Because most of you are not minors anymore. I'm assuming you're probably most of you are over the age of 18. And it's probably going to last a long time in your, in your lifetime where you'll be able to create music and there'll be a differentiation between you and AI for a long time. Future generations, who knows? So that's my take on it. You know, um, you know just, yeah, who knows? I mean, just that's <laughs> you know, I, I feel weird talking about it because it's like just so many... <laughs> pundits out yeah. there and well, this is what's going to happen and I, I think you have a great perspective on it yeah i appreciate you sharing that and yeah i mean i it's one of my favorite things to talk about clearly because you know we've talked about it many times on and off air but it certainly seems like this is one of the defining technologies of of our generation or of our lives sure. you know so it's it's a important thing to to figure out and try, try to do our best to make it a good outcome for everyone Real quick, I would love to hear what the current status is. You mentioned the Hollywood strike. I mean, I know that there is a lot of, like, there's the actors. There's also, like, the the writers were on strike. Could you give us a quick, as someone from, like, the inside who's, like, very connected to this industry, can you give us a quick update on what's the status? You, you mentioned that they had a big, a big win as it relates to their rights versus, like, AI and, and kind of how that works in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, no worries. Just so you know, I, I was not sitting on the edge of my seat with bated breath, you know, watching when is this going to going to happen? Because it really didn't affect what we do. Because the kind of weird silver lining around that for us was that the music supervisors who are normally very busy, and though mm-hmm. they're placing more songs when they're busy, when they weren't busy, they had more time for indie music, they had more time mm-hmm. to focus on people I was introducing them to you know, the people mm. I work with, right, is I was mm. able to say, hey, and they had time to hang out and make catalogs and, oh, when things get going, I'm going to like, you know, do this. So, so it's been, mm. been great, you know, but 
overall, what happened is, yeah, the writers are back at work. Now the actors have just figured things out and they're going back to work. So it's all, you know, kind of over. And these things will happen again. They're kind of like earthquakes. You know, they're going to come. There'll be another one and there'll be another. They're, you know, if you look back at the they're, they're regular strikes that go back in history. Mm. So it's just the way it is. So um, it, you know, not much to talk about because everybody's going back to work. They're going to be playing catch up now with everything and and so on. But when there is a strike, it is a good time actually to be meeting music supervisors because they are just mm. less busy and they've got more time on their hands type of thing. Mm. Well, I mean, that's, that's awesome. It kind of reminds me of in some ways, like you know, COVID obviously was a huge challenge for a lot of us, but in some ways it was also like for a lot of people, like even free time to be able to explore things like music. Yeah. I was actually more curious from the, along the lines of, the terms that they came up with like what did they how did they resolve the ai situation yeah so i didn't look too deeply into it because i i care less about the not that i don't care it's just like it's not my wheelhouse sure about how the actors are protecting their own identities and tv and film that's less of a concern to me than how ai applies to audio and so on and and music that won't change until it can change so that until ai gets good enough which is not really to be able to just put music out you know that's going to work in tv and film so here's the other interesting part about this if you talk to almost any music supervisor and you ask them hey how come you work with artists or like labels why don't you just go to libraries libraries are easy to go to you just go in there and you filter, you type in your type in your thing, you say, hey, here's what I want to get. And up pops the, the track. Why don't you just do that? Mm-hmm. Most supervisors enjoy one getting the scoop on new music, right? They they want to they want to be the one who discovered somebody, you know, mm-hmm. and and found the cool music. The other reason is that they want authenticity. Often what happens in libraries when something starts to become something like 90s music was recently a thing right became you know just a bump in 90s music probably because the generation gen x are now making all the movies and who knows what and and things are cyclical Mm. right the kids Mm. you know teenagers are getting into um the 90s it's like a ripple the way the 90s was a ripple of the 60s sort of thing so Mm. it's just the way it's working but the bottom line is you see that sort of bump in 90s music and it's like where does that sort of where does that go? Do you follow do you follow that? And libraries are like, yeah, you do. You just produce a bunch more nineties music. And so they're putting all kinds of music out of libraries that's like the nineties. So huh. but supervisors want authenticity. They they don't want just some people, some writers sitting there just banging out some stuff that sounds like it. The way AI mm-hmm. is gonna be, especially at the beginning, eventually it'll fool us. But so far it's it, it it's a good tool. And it can help you, you know, get, get off the ground maybe. And with lyrics, instead of the, the magnets on your fridge, you've got, you know, chat GDP. It does the same sort of thing, right? So just much better. And yeah, so, you know, it, authenticity is, is, is king. So it's, that's good news. Hmm. That totally makes sense. Yeah, it definitely seems like we are all humans and like we're all going to be here. <laughs> You know, like, and we're going to need something to give us purpose and meaning and like connection. So even the fact that you described a lot of these supervisors, they, if given the choice between getting their music from something that's completely isolated and doesn't have like a human connection versus actually going somewhere that lets them build a relationship and connect with, you know, other humans, they tend to prefer 
that that side of it. it seems like there's some good news in there for humans like humans like to connect with humans you know yeah uh, yeah and it but i mean to be like that's that's i would say optimistic you know so a supervisor is saying i can connect with a human and have a more pleasant time or i can get a better song from this library they're going to go mm. to the library and get the better song yeah right? and for cheaper what i'm saying <laughs> is that the music the actual created music has authenticity mm. to it because mm. people have created it with authenticity AI and writers and so on, they're just kind of making like a postcard version of it typically, right? They're, some of them are mm -hmm. really good at it and be really convincing, but a lot of them mm -hmm. are just, you know, you can tell, right? It just sounds yeah. like filler music. And so yeah. they're less after filler music. They want a great song when it comes from the heart. Mm -hmm. The singer's just like, just, you know, emoting exactly what they want. And so mm -hmm. that's really what I'm talking about. And that's difficult to replicate for writers mm -hmm. or AI, especially at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. We had Bobby Ozinski on here a couple of days ago and we were talking a lot about AI and production. And you know, one of the things that we had mentioned was how, at least at the time of us you know, having this conversation right now, AI is much better as a, not as a replacement to what you're doing, but like as a augmented tool to kind of get you from zero to 80 extremely quickly. But then like that last 20%, that like the 80 to 100 is something that it's not very good at doing on its own. And like it really needs that human touch or like a master to kind of come in. But gosh, like the ability in a couple seconds to go from zero to 80 is something that, you know, if you're not doing that and you're, and you're you know, trying to do that, that entire you know, process without it, then it feels like you're missing out on a big opportunity, a bit, an amazing tool that can help you be more prolific and be more right. creative. Yeah. What would be an example, would you say, of the zero to 80 in, in music? Like, for example, writing a song. You know, if you were going to sit down and write a song from scratch, then, you know, you might get writer's block or you might kind of wonder, like, okay, like, I know I kind of want to write a song about my pet fish bobby but yeah i'm not really sure like what i should say about bobby and if you go into chat gpt or you know if you're using street team like we have our artist ai bot built into it which essentially is like chat gpt but just a little bit more fine-tuning so it's like for for musicians but if you basically ask it you know i want to write a song about my pet fish bobby can you ask me five questions that'll help me brainstorm ideas for the song and help you write the song then it'll ask like five questions that will make you think and kind of reflect on, oh, like my relationship with Bobby, like I love that pet fish and he swims like so wonderfully. And then you say, okay, can you just like write the full song and like all the lyrics? Then in like a second, it'll write the entire song and like all the verse, the chorus, like even the arrangement and the chord progression. And, and that's, that's what I mean, like going from zero to 80. Cause like, you know, it's, if you like start, to, if you play the song, from scratch like that exactly as it wrote it then usually it'd be a little bit cheesy be like yeah, my pet fish it's a really good friend to me yeah. <laughs> but um you know like it, it's it's exactly like you're saying like it's not quite there yet you know and that, yes. that's a big yet yeah yeah but, so so i think yeah. the reason i asked you was specifically the number that that i guess you and bobby are using zero to 80 right because i i've tested mm. chat gdp and fairly recently mm. with things like that right? Just to see mm. that stuff. I'd say, you know, lucky to get to 50, meaning that you're, you mm. get basically, oh, that's a cool idea. That's interesting. But mostly it's like stuff that I'm like, man, I, I got to really 
work on this. I got two good ideas out of this, you know, but the rest of it's just all put together. Like it's just not that good, you know? Mm. And, and if I was to release a song like that and, and I was to hand it to a supervisor, I would imagine they wouldn't think, Oh, that song is like 80% good. I think they probably think mm. that song is 50% good. If that. <laughs> so yeah, you, you, might, you my, might be right there. It was a bit arbitrary. Like 80 was a little bit of an arbitrary number, but, and it probably depends too on, you know, what your prompt is and what you're going for or whatnot. Yeah, um, yeah. Also GPT 3.5 versus GPT 4, like the plus version is just like, oh my gosh, night and day difference. Like GPT 4 is so much better. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, is that I think it, it comes down to the use, right? So maybe the things mm -hmm. that I'm testing are, you know, I'm trying to use a little high, I've had a long time in the music industry as a producer and, and dealing with songwriters. So the high level stuff, you know, that I'm testing it on, the higher level stuff is like, it's not close, it's not close to that, right? Mm -hmm. I guess if you're starting as a songwriter and you don't know what, how to, what to write about your fish and you need something because you just can't think of anything, yeah, maybe it gets you 80% of the way there, you know? But that song is not probably going to, you know, do that well at the higher levels, like trying to get it into TV and film or trying to get it out there, you know, maybe get a label interested and stuff like that. I guess that's sort of my only point. Like it's, it's like, you know, when those organs came out with the little like boom, boom box and stuff, I don't know what, I think it was in the sixties probably. And they came out and you'd play it, play the organ and it's like, wow, this beats a piano. This is a, look at all, it's got like four sounds in the keyboard, you know? And I, I feel like, you know, we're going through that a little bit right now. And mm. it's, it's sort of, you know, and like I said earlier, I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, totally skeptical, like, don't worry about AI. I said earlier, I think it's going to take over everything. But I just mm. don't think we're kind of there yet. And I think it's going to take longer than people think. People just get, up, get more optimistic than we're wired that way right? It's probably a survival mechanism. It's like, we try impossible things. It's like, you know, oh, I, I, you know, I got washed out to sea in this river and I can't see the land, but I think I could swim back. You know, it's like, mm. probably you can't, but you try. And then every once in a while, someone gets ashore and it's a survival and they pass those genes on, who knows? But we are more optimistic than reality. Tend, we tend to be. And so I think with AI, we, we're also more optimistic. We're like, oh, it's super, super, you know, amazing. And it will be, but I just don't, I don't think we're, you know, we're, we're not there yet to have a serious conversation about A, being replaced or B, to me, like where it's going to start to show up in all the top productions in TV and film yet. We're just not there, you know? Yeah, it, it'll be super interesting to watch because I, I think you're totally right from a standpoint of like technology. Generally, there's that, what do they call it, the Gartner hype cycle, where there's a new technology that comes out. And this is worth looking up. If you guys haven't seen the Gartner hype cycle, there's a graphic. It's really interesting. But it's this graph that kind of looks like a heartbeat. If you like know what a heartbeat looks like when you're looking at that, like the, mm -hmm. the little line graph of it. But at the beginning, there's this huge spike. And that's when a new technology comes out. And there's a bunch of hype around it. Because generally, there's a few people who are engineering and designing the new technology who kind of get it. And they are telling everyone, like, this technology is crazy, and it's going to change the world. And there's a bunch of people around them that don't really fully grasp or fully, like, understand what this technology is or how it works or, like, the, you know, the technical aspect of it. But they blow it out of proportion. They're like, you know, this is, this is going to change everything. And then there's a point where there's a big dip. And I think, what do they call it? Like the trough of disillusionment. 
but usually from that spike, right. there's a bubble pop. So like the internet, you know, there's the dot com, dot com, you know, bubble pop where everything was overhyped and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it got, got destroyed. And then, you know, there's the slope of enlightenment and that's what kind of where it, where it starts to come back up when people start realizing, okay, like maybe there actually is something to this technology and it's not all just hype. I feel like NFTs are a great example of that. Like there was a huge bu- bubble, a bunch of hype, millions yeah. of dollars being spent on like gifts of hamsters. And then, you know, there's this like bubble pop. And yeah, I think that there are actually some valid use cases for NFTs, like the music industry. I think there's an amazing opportunity for, you know, if it's done the right way. But I agree. I think it doesn't seem like AI has experienced the bubble pop yet or the trough of disillusionment. So it'll be interesting to see if and like when that happens, or if you subscribe to the idea that this is something that's fundamentally different from every technology that's come before it. And that this is part of like an exponential curve and we're about, we're like approaching the singularity. Then there's, you know, one perspective would be that, you know, maybe this is a different type of technology and and that it's going to evolve so quickly and so exponentially that we don't experience the same kind of dip before it, you know, kind of evens out. Yeah, totally. I don't really know. Yeah. And just, just to add one last thing to this, to this point is that I think there's a difference between fireside chat and reality. And I think that it's Mm -hmm. important to make the distinction between the two. I think it's fun to sit around right now, like we're doing and talking about it, talking about the singularity, Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, talking about all kinds of like, it's going to take over and, you know, maybe it'll surpass us so quickly, you know, we'll survive, blah, blah, blah. Talk. It's all hyper, you know, it's, it's just like all things that, that are good to chat about, you know, Mm -hmm. but we're talking about today and waking up tomorrow. Right. So Mm -hmm. in your people watching your musicians, so you've got to use AI for what it's good at right now. And it's cool to like imagine. And it's cool to to maybe plan a little bit. But what's what's it going to do tomorrow? Are you going to wake up tomorrow and have a hit song about your fish through AI? I mean, possibly, <laughs> possibly, but probably not. You know, otherwise mm-hmm. everybody would be doing it. They would have done it already in the last like half a year, whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know. Just, yeah, take it one step at a time and treat it with the reality that it has. And don't forget to dream and have those fireside chats, but, but, but separate those things so you don't like waste time and go down, you know, weird rabbit holes. Save that for the people who make a lot of money on that. A lot of people like hyping this stuff up because they, they can make quick money. Like there were a bunch of people made a bunch of money in crypto. You know, and it's mm. crypto hasn't disappeared, but yeah, it's definitely like some, like, like some like pretty like illicit folks too, like with Sam Bankman Freud. Yeah, that his name? they were just like ride this profit while you can, or the, even the real estate bubble. You know, there were a lot of banks that knew it was going to end. Mm. They're just like sell, mm. sell, sell, sell as fast as you can, make your money, and then sock it mm. away, get out while you can, because mm. you know they're just playing the game. Because they, they in in a way they're they're they already know it's not going to last. You know, so mm. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I really appreciate about you. I feel like you you really have a grounded kind of perspective and mindset around it. And yeah, I, I tend to be someone who I am up in the clouds a little bit more, and I, I spend a lot of time like thinking about the future. And so I, I think it's important to have to have both. Yeah, um, I was about to and, say, got to have both. There, there's one analogy that, that came to mind as you were describing that. That I think it was Jeff Walker actually who who first who, uh, described this analogy, which was that you, it's sort of like skiing when you're skiing down a mountain you know it's you want to balance looking up at the horizon and looking further ahead with what's right in front of you like if you spend all your time looking up and like looking in the distance 
then you might literally trip over a branch that's like right in front of you. But if all you do is you're always like looking down, like right at what's in front of you, then there might be a cliff that's literally like coming over the edge to like go down. So it does kind of take this balance of, you know, kind of looking up and taking a look at where things are headed right around the corner and further in the distance while also being present and grounded in, in what's happening right now. Yeah, no, I absolutely, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think, I think it is a balance, you know, and I was pushing the reality thing a little hard probably because most people, myself included, sometimes, you know, you jump on the bandwagon quick because you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? It's like, calm down. <laughs> you know, let's look at, let's be a bit more pragmatic. What's really mm -hmm. happening here, you know, but we yeah, need both. I think it's a good, good mindset to, to take right now. So you know what? We have a live audience here of some really cool folks and cool musicians. So how about we actually invite some folks to raise their hand and come on live to ask a question? I love it. Awesome. So I see one question in here. So Sophia asked specifically, how can I utilize platforms like LinkedIn and Discord to get more familiar, get to know people in music licensing and syncing? And I think kind of the deeper underlying question is, how do I find the people in music licensing and syncing and build a relationship with them on any platform? And also, I want to do a quick, a quick reminder for everyone. Could you, Chris, could you share a little bit more details again about this free mini series that, that you're doing? And because I know this is like the place to go if you're interested in, in sync licensing and you want like a step-by-step -step guide and a resource, maybe we can actually start there. I'd love to hear a little bit more about this uh, mini series that you've created and how people can, can dive into that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So basically the way to do it, you know what, I'm, I'll just post this now. I guess I could do it later. Oh yeah, well, uh -huh. I just put in a link here. So basically the what that is, that if you hit that link, you're going to get two things. One is it shows the five steps that I'm actually covering in the mini series and talks briefly about them and about how to get your music into TV and film. The other thing you get is a free metadata guide. Before you send anything out, you have to have your metadata right in your MP3s. Super, super, super important that you the supervisors get it. It's for everybody in the industry who uses the metadata. The guide is basically a step-by-step, -step, here's what you need, here's what you don't need, and you're done. So if you just follow what's in the guide and just do what's in the guide, that's that's all you got to do, okay? We've covered every single thing you've got to have in there. And so you can download it. You click the link, you get it. It's all free stuff, guys. So you just download it and, and, and do that if you want to. Oh, my God. <laughs> great. Uh, I cherish the moments that I get to use that soundbite. That Love is it. awesome. Can, can yeah. we do a, a virtual round of applause for, for Chris for putting that together? That is so awesome. Thank you for, for creating that. And again, so Ari just shared the link in the chat. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, then we'll have the link for you for easy access in the podcast show notes as well. Sweet. Uh, that's great. And then the mini series just quickly is I just decided to do it. I put up weekly blogs and I decided to replace the blogs with kind of training lessons. So it goes, you know, I just, just putting, I'm putting the first one out today. So if you jump in, you can get the first one. And then each week until the music supervisor panel, which we're going to have a free panel, we usually get thousands of musicians out to it. Uh, I'll come out to hang out with some music supervisors. We're doing that in early January and that leads up to that panel so that by the time you get there, you know how everything works. You know how music supervisors think. You can start to figure out who they, who they are and all of this stuff. It's, 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 I thought it'd be really cool. And it's, we had uh, over 500 songs submitted. So I'm actually accepting some song submissions so you can submit a song and I might use it in one of the videos as well. So, Wow. That is awesome. 
Yeah, I love the fact that it's it's lined up so nicely. So you've got the miniseries leading up to this awesome opportunity to be able to connect you know, potentially with these licensing supervisors. Super powerful. Awesome. So we probably have time for maybe one more question. Okay, so just ask a question. What are your thoughts on giving a library the exclusive rights to a song in return for them working harder to license it? I mean, there's, I actually do recommend exclusive libraries over non-exclusive libraries because non-exclusive are very easy to get into. They have, you know, tons and tons of songs. Not that exclusive libraries don't, they also do. But exclusive libraries tend, not always, but they tend to be a little bit more proactive, you know, not that they're going to pitch your music necessarily, but they're going to be much more selective about who they represent. And so typically the roster will be smaller to some degree. And, and it shows that they're, you know, investing in, in that because it's harder for them to sign people with an exclusive deal than a non-exclusive deal. So that they're bringing something to the table to do that. So I think exclusive libraries can be good in general. I think they're better than non-exclusive, but at the same time, remember what I was saying earlier about not being in control of your future. You're basically going to be a needle in a haystack hoping to be discovered. The way to sort of think about this or remember this is like, imagine that, you know, the library is like a box store, you know, like big box store. And the supervisor shows up, parks the car in the parking lot and goes into the box store to get a song for an opportunity. The box store is full of songs. They're in every shelf and every section and every department. You know, so they've got to walk all the way back to your department, to your section, to where your shelf is on there, and then the multiple shelves, and then pick you from your shelf amongst all the songs that are beside you on the shelf for something to happen, right? And that is where you just don't see that much success in libraries. The only time that I see consistent success is one, if you're on the front burner, meaning the owner of the library knows you and, and really thinks you're great and one of the best people on there and they kind of give you some spots or an agent treats you like really well because you're like you're popular you got a popular sound or you've got a big label deal or something like that you've got something going for you other than that you tend to be floating out there that's why i'm such a big proponent of making relationships directly bypassing the agents in the libraries make those relationships directly with the music supervisors so that's, that's, I'm a big proponent of that. Now the previous question, which we didn't actually answer, how do I connect with supervisors and stuff? Can I make relationships on, you know, these different platforms? So you have to be really careful in this industry because music supervisors get inundated, right? With music all the time. And I'm not talking about just indie songwriters. I'm talking about by a bunch of labels and publishers and agents and libraries. They're constantly being hounded, you know, here's all this music, like place mine, place mine. And so you got to be really careful if you go onto LinkedIn or places like that and start trying to, you know, pitch your music to them or start a relationship. There's got to be a reason for that to do that. I'm not going to sort of tell you whether you should do it or not. Just know that it's not a the ideal way to do it. And it's a bit dangerous because they, they're sensitive to it. They don't want to be hit up on social and hit up on safe places that they are by people trying to get their music to them, right? Because they're already inundated as it is. So the way I do it is I know all these people already. And so they trust me over, over the years to do that. They wouldn't stick with me if I was just like sending them anything and everything all the time. So what I do is I'm, I'm careful with sort of who I work with. If, if you're working with me and you're kind of going through my process and I'm training you in the right way, then it's, then it's great. I can absolutely introduce you to these people. 
that's the way I like to do things. So less of a fan of trying to go around it through social and things like that and so on to them. That's all. You just might end up getting blacklisted for, you know, a dumb reason that you didn't intend. That's all. Mm. Yeah. Super smart. It definitely seems like one of the best ways to meet someone new, especially if it's a high profile person that is getting a lot of people reaching out to them is by having some sort of connection to them, having some sort of common ground by person, a shared, you know, trusted contact. So it makes sense that, you know, you taking the time to having built this trust and built this network, it can really be a stepping stone for these artists to be able to, to build these relationships. It's awesome. So yeah, I would highly recommend again for everyone who hasn't yet, Chris shared a super valuable resource with the freebies that's in there in the chat. So you can, you can sign up and get the cheat sheet, you can get the, the resources, but also you can have the opportunity to connect with the sync licensing you know, experts in the field during your event. Could you talk a little bit more about that? I know it's a little bit further down the line, but you know, for anyone who's listening or watching this right now, could you talk a little bit about that panel that you put together and what kind of opportunity that is for them? Yeah, sure. Right. So, so basically what I want to do is I want to basically bring the gatekeepers, the top people, music supervisors together in one spot as, as a panel. Now it's, isn't, these aren't just any music supervisors, you know, there's lots of places, not that many, but there are some places online you can go to and you can, you know, go and, and talk to somebody or speed date, you know, and, and, and all that with a, with a soup. There are thousands of music supervisors out there. A lot of them work on reality TV and indie indie movies and, and stuff like that. The little more lower tier things and where they're part-time and things like that. I've always believed in to progress and to have success, you need to be rubbing shoulders with the people who are actually making that success happen. So the, all the supervisors that I work with are the top ones, the biggest network shows, big movies of a friend who worked on Dune and stuff like that. You know, there's the... I'm talking like all the Grey's Anatomy, all those big, big, big shows. So those are the supervisors that I work with. So I'm putting together this panel. It's totally free. They, all you got to do is show up. It's going to be like on Zoom or something like that. Just show up there and you get to hang out with this panel of supervisors. You're going to be asking questions. You're going to discover more about who they are, how they think, what they're looking for. We're going to talk about what they're looking for. So if you're thinking about getting music to them and stuff like that, it's a perfect opportunity to, to learn something about those individual people to figure out like, oh, they're a perfect match for me. This is, or I, I love that show. I'd love to get into that show. Now you know who supervises it, how they think and what they're looking for. So it's going to be really, really valuable just uh, to show up and, and do that. So that'll be in January. If you want to know more about that, just click the link there, grab the freebies, and then you'll be on our list. And I can let you know and keep you, besides the mini series that you're going to get, I can keep you informed about when, where, and and all of that. So, fantastic. Well, once again, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's always a great conversation, and I appreciate us being able to, yeah, if with that skiing analogy, kind of zoom out, look at the horizon, you have discussions about it, and also about you know be able to look at right now what's happening and how can you know the musicians who are listening to this actually get value and kind of take that next step in the career. So. Really appreciate you and what you're doing. And I highly recommend anyone who hasn't yet to go grab the freebies. And I look forward to you talking again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mike. This was really great. Yeah! Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. 
First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That, that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Thank you.